0: How you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Very well. Yes, it's been a busy week, but I'm back home now, and uh, yeah, went out to went out to New York. Yeah, how was it? For a few nights, it was really good, really good. It's my first time, so I've been many times into JFK, been to the airport, connecting flights, but never actually left. it. Left oh, really?
1: Yeah. Uh, how long were you you were there with your wife? Is it just
0: the two of? Yeah, yeah, just the two of us four nights. Oh, lovely. Having a nice little uh, extended break. So, yeah. Did you did
1: you sort of see the sights? What was your kind of vibe? Yeah, yeah,
0: we did. You know how you've got your little app in your phone that gives you your step
1: count for each day.
0: I mean, I'm not really into all that, but I had a look at it at the end of it, and we averaged, or we in total, it was ninety-one thousand steps. Okay, you know, sixty odd k's of walking, but it didn't feel like that. We were just kind of going from place to place. Did all the obvious, you know, the top of the Rockefeller to look out across to see the Empire State and the amazing views um you know did all just did all the obvious tourist stuff had a great time went to see the Comedy Cellar that was great fun Oh, right yeah stand up um really good like really good quite what I've not been for a stand to stand up for a while and just the fact you you got to put your phones into an envelope and they seal it up so you're not recording anything you're not videoing you're not not doing anything, so they can basically allow the performers to relax, and and the jokes are a bit more, a bit more edgy than you might yeah, see yeah, on yeah, television or on, on uh, social media. So it was really good, really funny, um, and just yeah, it's been a while that I've it's certainly pre-pandemic that I've
1: been to see live comedy. So it was great and nice to have that rare bit of um, obviously nice to hang, hang around all as a family but to have the two of you to be able to go away together is not so so common i yeah, guess yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong love love the family holidays but <laughs> getting a couple of nights
0: away from the kids it was it was fantastic how are you it, doing
1: it, with the jet lag cool. the other end though yeah not too bad it's
0: yeah just kind of straight into work and you know you can't really afford to have jet lag when the kids are coming through it Six thirty, six o'clock in the morning. Which, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so you just got to crack on. But yeah, it's been it's been all right so far.
1: Touch wood. I'll get some sleep tonight again. And I think that's kind of broken the back of it. Nice. Have you got a busy oh, weekend? Okay. Or, oh, we've got um, we've got our guest actually already. Uh, so I should Probably say who it is, but we're joined yeah. by hum- Humphrey Kerr, who started as a stand up comedian and is now a star of Welcome to Wrexham alongside Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. But he'll explain it all way better than than, than I possibly can. So I'll just let him in. That's a cool uh, profile picture, isn't it? Yeah, that is.
2: Oh. You guys admire my profile picture, eh? Yes, very Very smart. smart. (laughs) How are you doing? Good, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I feel very honoured
1: to join the Pantheon. (laughs) 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 Are you still in the States or are you back? Sorry, I'm asking the same.
2: I'm in the States right now. So I I was over... I spent about... five months a year in, in the UK. Um, and I was over for five weeks from sort of mid October until 10 days ago, two weeks ago or something like that. and so then back here now, back to UK December the 13th. So, um, just a short, a little sort of four weeks at home and then back over for Christmas. But my, my wife is coming with me, uh, for this Christmas as well, which is great. So that's the one real downside of this gig is, I mean, I'm, you guys both have very travel heavy
1: uh, jobs as well. So, so I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Yeah, very much so. Where, are you filming something at the moment then, or what are you in the midst of? No, I'm just sort of, I mean, basically
2: the, the writers and actors strike and everything ended. And I'm sort of based pretty much auditioning and um, trying to develop. I've got a couple of things that I'm trying to do myself that I'm hoping someone somewhere will pay me some money to do. Um, but we'll, we'll see. It's the life of the freelance comedy person. You're always, uh, you always got your cap in your hand at one time or another.
0: But it's been a busy old time for you, though the last the last couple of years. I mean, it's it seems like yeah. an incredible story. The uh, certainly the, the Welcome to Wrexham documentary series. That whole that whole story is uh, it's quite phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I was the sort of person in the world that probably had the best pandemic <laughs> out of anyone, <laughs> apart from one of Matt Hancock's friends who got given like 50 million quid. To do. <laughs> other than that, it's like them and then it's me. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. I, right before right before lockdown started over here, I got cast on an NBC sitcom called um, American Auto, which was, had been my kind of dream. You know, I, I moved out here desperately hoping to be in the next... Uh, Parks and Recreation or the next Friends or the next, you know, like, I just, I love those like NBC ensemble sitcoms, The Office, like, all those, like that is, that for me is the, that's the apogee. That's what I want to do. And I, I was very lucky. I got, got cast in one and then pandemic came along and that slightly put all that on hold for about nine months. And in the, in the meantime, uh, my, um, sporadically insane boss, Rob McElhenney was like, we should buy a football team. Um, <laughs> and run it and
1: do it and make a documentary about it. And so we did. But you um, introduced was, Rob to football. Sorry, Chris. Did you, you I, introduce Rob to the passion for football? Is that right? Or?
2: Yes. Yes. He's a big sports fan. He loves particularly the Philadelphia Eagles. That's like his his sport of choice, really. I mean, he likes the Phillies and he likes the 76s and stuff as well, but he's mostly American football. And he basically used to make fun of me for liking our football um, I would sometimes watch it in the writers' room. Our lunch breaks would sort of coincide with eight PM kickoffs in the UK, and I would uh, I'd, I'd watch the games on my laptop on silent. We all sit around a big table, uh, and you for lunch you basically just sit around the same table, but you just talk about nonsense. And you every now and then someone's like, "Oh, you've got to watch this! I saw this really funny YouTube video that gets put up on the big screen," and I would sort of have my laptop open on silent with the, with the Liverpool's Champions League games going on. And he would always be so American about it. By which I mean, he'd be like, "This is like all they ever do is flop, which is what they call diving. Um, they just they flop all the time, and there's no, no, no one scores any points. I'm like goals. They're called goals. <laughs> <laughs> points. <laughs> um, and he was always quite dismissive about it. And then when we went into lockdown, I was like, "Look, right, I need to. I, I've got here's an opportunity." I know you're trapped in your house for a few days because he's like the hyperactive busiest man in the universe. Um, I was like, you should watch this documentary Sunderland till I die. That's going to explain to you why we have this relationship with football, that I don't think is, is is actually that closely mapped to any of the sports fandoms in America, because you only play, you know, American football is the, the number one game here. That's the one that everyone loves more than anything else, but they only play, 16 17 games a season. Mm. Very short. It only runs from September to to uh, you know February the 1st or something. Um, and the rest of the year, they're like, oh sort of I'll go watch some basketball, I'll go watch some baseball. And and Sunderland till I die kind of helped to explain to him no, this is for for us, football in the UK is an all round, all year, non stop thing. And um yeah, he watched the first episode and was like, uh, well, it was all right, I guess. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. You know, I tried, but whatever. And then I think Caitlin and his wife went out of town and he was left on his own. He was like, oh, I'll just watch one more. And then he said he watched, you know, the 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 five, he watched episode one, the other five episodes of season one he watched in one sitting, and then the, the six of season two all together, he basically was like, I watched it from about eleven in the morning until about eleven at night, (laughs) (laughs) and I cried, I laughed, I I jumped out of my chair, I I, you know I I went through every possible emotion. We should do this, and I was like, yeah. uh, What do you mean? He's like, we should we should do this. We should buy we should buy a team. And I thought it was like you know that was the period when everyone was starting to make sourdough bread and stuff. I was like, oh, this is his, <laughs> this is his sourdough bread. I'm the starter kit or whatever it is. I'm the i the mother or whatever that weird the thing about with sourdough <laughs> is. And um, yeah, so like, which tea should we buy? So I truly I was like, oh, this is like lockdown pub. This, this is an sort of equivalent of like one of those pub conversations or when you go on. I often say, you know, when you, sometimes you go on holiday with friends. You're like, why don't we live here? We should just live in France. We should live in Normandy. Let's not go back. We should buy a farmhouse here. It's fine. None of us speak French, but we'll work it out. You know, it will be great. Um, and so I was very, I had that attitude. I was like, yeah, great. This is fun. I'm going to research a bunch of lower league football clubs. Uh, anyway, two days later, he's like, I've spoken to this company inner circle sports who, who helped them buy Liverpool and they sold, you know, um, lose to this group and they do, you know, they're like a big sports brokerage firm. Which what's the team? And I was like, uh what about this one? <laughs> and uh and yeah, and here we are, three <sighs> years later. It's mad Wow.
0: And what was the link with Wrexham? Was how did you I mean you're a, you're a Liverpool fan, you said?
2: Yes, yes. So as yeah. you can tell from my thick, toxic yeah, access, of course. Uh, <laughs> I I'm from the mean streets of Liverpool. No, I so I listened to your episode with Alex Horn um the other day. Um, and, uh, you know, he was saying, it was, mine was saying- I noticed, I noticed because, that our, our listening figures went up, Matt. I could see that. there was. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: there was a notable spike.
2: Yes, yeah, I, that was me. I spiked your listening figures with, that, with that one. Thanks for um, you got it. Um And, uh, you know, he was saying about how, he, he, for him, it was the 80s. He they were just the best team in the country or whatever it may be. Mine was a bit different and I no one in my family liked football at all. I went to an all boys boarding school where all anyone would talk about was football. I was much more into pretending to be a dinosaur. Um, yes. And and comedy, those were the things that I loved. My family, we just watched Blackadder and we watched The Two Ronnies and we like all that stuff was just like, that was what really brought me up was watching TV comedy. But when I got there, I was like, oh God, I've got to pick a team, I've got to pick a team. And everyone supported Manchester United because this was about 1994 five six it was sort of the start of like the, the Fergie dominance period or short shortly after the start of it and just to be a contrarian I was like I'm going to support the team which team who hates Man United the most and who do they hate and that was Liverpool and I, I was like okay then fine whatever that's my team and slowly but surely by a process of osmosis it grew into like a real obsession so that by you know sort of the early 2000s I was I went as university in Edinburgh but I would, drive down to Liverpool whenever I could and, and, and drive up if I was, I was down South and I went to the 2005, uh, Champions League final. That's my, that's my wow. great football claim to fame. Um, is that I was there for that. Um, I did all that I did. I think every, every home game in the champions league that season, cause it was weirdly easier to get tickets to champions league games than it was mm. to league games. And, um, when it came to the final, what, what, the way it worked basically was like, if you could, if, if they if you had been to the previous round, you could go to the next round. You know, If you're a season ticket holder, I think you had you had access anyway. But if you're uh, just a member like me, if you had been to the last round, you could go to the next round. And that was the same all the way up until the final, at which point it was like, you had to have been to every home and away game to be eligible to buy a ticket. And I was like, oh no, I've not been to any away games. But I bought one off a tout on on the internet and flew to Istanbul and had to pick it up in a hotel room in Istanbul. and. As I was getting there, I was like, "Oh God, this is I'm going to wake up in a bath full of ice with my kidneys missing, aren't I? Like this is this is classic, <laughs> but this a chicken mistake. But I will have a chicken in my hand. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, I got up there, but like I got up to the hotel, and I was like, oh, this is quite a nice hotel. This feels a bit more legit.' And I saw two fans, two Liverpool fans, walking down the stairs doing the classic. It's like if you were shooting a movie of this, this is exactly the scene you would want to reassure your your hero." was uh, two people coming down, like opening an envelope, p- pulling out their tickets and go like, w-, like, wow, our tickets to the final, like virtually, you know, it's like, okay, I think I'm in the right place. And <laughs> <laughs> went upstairs and went to the hotel room and there was, it was, when there, it was like all suddenly very respectable. It was like a sort of suite and there was a receptionist in a sort of nice jacket. And they were like, okay, yes, yes sir, come this way. This is your ticket. And I picked it up. And went and then had like the greatest, you know, was present for one of the greatest sporting events of still, I think, of my lifetime. You know, irrespective of whether you're a Liverpool fan, you know, three 0 down at half time against one of the greatest club sides ever assembled, and then and then to pull it out uh, as they did was pretty incredible. I yeah, even it. As neutral watching that is
0: that it was yeah, yeah incredible match.
1: I watched it at a friend's house and uh, it was so boring at halftime, we switched over and watched something else and then missed the whole thing. Yeah. And then had to <laughs> du- du- duly pretend to everyone as a sports journalist, I had to pretend to everyone that, that I'd seen it. And so what a classic comeback, despite the fact I missed the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Well, that I, what was quite nice is at halftime, I got so
2: many text messages from people, which was a, which was a mixture of my mum sort of being like, and I'm, I'm in floods of tears because I know you've spent, uh, I spent like all my, I was a student at the time, so I spent every penny I had basically on the flight and the ticket. And she was, uh, you know, like, I can't believe you've got all this way. And, da, da, da. and then other people sort of crowing, you know, slightly less <laughs> less generous friends of mine being like, <laughs> I can't believe you went all that <laughs> way, you wanker. and um, all this kind of thing. And to so all of them, I was, I'm really, I'm thrilled because to this day, I just, I was sort of slightly dazed. But at that, by that stage, I was like, you know what? You're in Istanbul. You're at a Champions League final. This is an amazing experience. Even if your team gets absolutely stuffed, like you, you know, and especially at that stage when Liverpool had been so rubbish for so long, to be in that position was just crazy. And I texted everyone back, being like, "You know what? It's only half time. It's only half time. We'll see. We'll see." And you know, it was the fat lady sings, and then I was absolutely insufferable at full time. <laughs> to <all of> that. <laughs> see you pigs. You dad to <laughs> us like you're, like this is what you get. you never doubted them for a second never no I had firmly given up but also it was like that there were all those rumors that loads of Liverpool fans left half time but it was in the middle of nowhere I mean that's that stadium is they built it sort of I mean truly you were on a bus for like an hour and a half without seeing another building and then just there's a stadium in the middle of nowhere and you got out and it was was it's very weird venue I mean I know they they used it again for another final not that long ago and had similar things where people like what what is this what why did you think this was a good place to build a football stadium yeah i'm, I'm ashamed to admit i
0: had a similar thing with uh, with you Matt. scotland were playing england in the six nations rugby about uh, three or four years ago i think it was and they were i think it was 20 something nil down at half time and i was just so kind of dejected i just changed <laughs> channels and, and then the, the phone started going and it was my dad kind of going this is unbelievable <laughs> it's like oh feel yeah. like what's happened it turned over and scotland had put it was like i think they I think in the end it was a draw. It was like 32-32 30, or something. I can't remember. But basically, they came back and were three points ahead. And then yeah. in the last minute, England kicked a penalty, and it was you know it was a, a draw in the end. But yeah, it was one of these matches that you, if you'd stuck it out as a true fan, you'd have been bought But I'd completely given up on it, and uh,
2: yeah, ashamed shame At to ahead. admit. Yeah. So the one thing about you, Chris, I think, as a nation, we know you don't have much sticking power as a sportsman. <laughs> so you often gave up a lot of your races. I think that was yeah, that's one of the things we associate with you. Ah, oh, forget it, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> so
0: yeah, going back, you so you're a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. What was it about Wrexham then? What 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 was the the sort of catalyst for the- you? Down?
2: So, so to start up in that process, I looked at about eight different. I made a little stupid document that looks like you know I don't want to insult uh, your kids either of you, but look like some of your kids will have made in, in sort of IT project at school. Was <laughs> so I'm not I, I'm quite good on like final draft, which is the writing application that everyone uses. Great, but but sort of Excel and and for, uh, you know making making uh, slideshows and things like that. I'm absolutely terrible at it, um, and I still am despite having to use it more for my job now than I did before, I made this little document that was sort of eight clubs, you know, and I was like, I've got the club badge and I got a picture of the stadium. And I put a little like, this is their, their, um, you know, potted history of each club and, and basically rated all the clubs in five categories out of 10, which were sort of fan base, um, uh, history, um, geography, uh, a narrative was one because we, we knew we wanted to do a documentary about it. So we were like, well, let's look for a club that sort of deserves a break as much as anything, because there are, you know, there were some of the clubs we looked at were like, well, you know, they're in the, the outskirts of Manchester and they're pretty affluent. And, you know, it's this, it's a nice area. And the football club's not a big deal. And Wrexham jumped to the top of the pile very quickly because one of the single biggest things was in the fan base, section rexham were averaging four and a half thousand a week uh, in the national league when they were flirting with relegation the season before we uh, the, the the covid season that got cut short and that w- that put them you know way ahead of any other team in the national league i mean that was that was more than double any other team in the national league it was beating a lot of league 2 teams it would still beat a lot of league 2 teams um you know with with the greatest respect there are lots of teams in, you know, Accrington, Barrow, teams like that that you know probably get two two and a half to three thousand people a week. Um, so, Wrexham was just—we knew there was this kind of sleeping giant thing there, and they'd also had their Boxing Day games would often average about nine and a half thousand, ten thousand. So you're like, well, there's a big crowd. There's a big crowd there that's just you know that is just going to watch a team that is flirting with relegation from from the National League. Um, And you read the history and you're like, oh, well, hang on. They used to get 35,000 a week, you know, in the 70s. That was, that, you know, because you also catch everything out west of you. So there's about 750,000 people that live in North Wales and they all sort of pass through Wrexham basically to go to Everton, Liverpool, Manchester United, and Manchester City. The, the, those teams have a huge fan base in North Wales. And we thought, well, look, a lot of those people will probably be tempted back to Wrexham if they, if we can offer them something that is, that is worth coming to. So yeah, pretty quickly Wrexham came to the top of the part. I had no connection with it before that, other than I had a match of the day, 101 great FA cup goals video that I used to watch over and over again when I was a kid. And that had Mickey Thomas's free kick against Arsenal in it. I had that great piece of commentary, like, oh, Mickey Thomas, the magic little man, um, which just always stuck in my head. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, yeah, Wrexham, right. What's, I wonder what the story, what's going on at Wrexham these days. And started, you know, as the process started, it was just one of the places I was like, let's have a look at that. And it, it very quickly became apparent that it was just the best choice for us for a whole bunch of different reasons. And one being your, every game is a cross-border derby, pretty much. So there's an added needle <laughs> on, on the part of our fans. You know, they just love going and... Um, shouting at English people
1: it's a very popular activity and to be fair the English people love coming to Wales and shouting at us but it's a funny bit where the guys where Ryan and Robert are trying to sort of sell themselves to the club over like a a Zoom Mm -hmm. walk, sort of like this which is quite a weird you know because obviously at the time that it's happening and yeah bizarre sort of backstory to it all
2: yeah, I mean, I think I, I know. I remember when we determined, like, right, let's go and talk to Rexham, I Was like, this is going to be because Wrexham was actually owned by fans at that stage, um, and <clears throat> Supporters Trust uh, ran it, and they they had saved the club from very unscrupulous owners beforehand. And so, I think they'd had one or two approaches over the years, but had always been a bit wary of of people coming in. And I just always wondered I was like, God, this is going to be mind blowing for them, and they're like. Sorry, the, what, what, who is it you're saying that wants to come and <laughs> buy the club? <laughs> and, uh, and I think that was that was the case, and that still sort of, still three years later, slightly remains the case. People sort of just are like, why? What? Why are they here? It
0: seems to have drawn an interest from other high-profile people that are starting to see the appeal of being an owner of a relatively small club in a different sport in a you know American. American high profile person that's coming across and and thinking to follow suit.
2: Yeah. And yes, you see, obviously, yes, Tom Brady's bought a uh, stake in Birmingham and um, uh, Michael B. Washington's got a chunk of Bournemouth and JJ Watts at Burnley. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think one thing about it is, I mean, we never really thought about it in these terms particularly, but, but in retrospect, you're now like, there's something it's difficult to recapture quite what we've done at Wrexham because it was so unexpected, I think, and so kind of out of left field that, you know, so many of those early stories, you know, the press coverage you got on the BBC and the, and the fascination with it all was such that I, I don't know that you can replicate. There's often lots of, I mean, I know earlier this season there was sort of rumour mill that, Taylor Swift was going to buy Knotts County, um, which
1: <laughs> I never saw would, that would just be tremendous. Yeah. And no, then no, there was like, I said, sort
2: of, for 48 hours, there was feverish speculation that someone had sort of seen her at the Clackett Lane services, buying a scotch egg on her way to, <laughs> on her way to Knotts <laughs> County. Uh, um, I mean, we do get, I will say one of the funny things about this job for me as a slight aside is, um, uh, before our game against Boreham Wood at the end of last season, which was the game that if we won, we knew we'd, we'd go up. And I was walking across the club car park and a Wrexham fan sort of, like, bounced up to me. and was like, is it true? Is Taylor Swift in the turf? Um, which is the pub that's right next to the stadium. I was like, what? No, I don't know. Taylor Swift's not coming to the game today. And and they were like, oh, no, that's a shame. I was like, yeah, no, I mean, it'd be wonderful if she did. Um, but no, I don't think so. And he sort of turned around and slouched off in the direction. And I, I kept walking, and then after about five paces, was like, "Is is, is Taylor Swift in the <laughs> turf? Maybe she, she, she might be." I, I'm not. I shouldn't really be going over the turf now. But how do I find out really quickly if uh, uh, if she is there? Um she wasn't, but actually, it was Paul Rudd was there instead. Ant Man wow. was, was was in the turf. Easily mistaken for each other, um, but yes, that's the. I didn't. I didn't know Paul Rudd was coming, so I got up into the into. We have a sort of fancy box that is used by the match sponsors on a regular game, and Rob and Ryan go in there if if they're in in town. And yes, Paul Rudd was there and uh, bounced up to me and introduced himself. Very very nice man. Um, but I was like, oh god, crikey! You just you never know. I had no idea he was going to be there either, but I'm sure she'll show up one day. Who can the resist thing, the temptations? The thing is, though, now, it doesn't seem that preposterous. It seems, you know, after
0: the, the initial disbelief that Rob and Ryan were going to get involved with Wrexham, which initially you think, now that, that, that's, <laughs> that's a wind-up, but there's something, you know, you see the headline, yeah. and you think, what is the real story here? But now, it doesn't, it, it might raise a slight eyebrow, but to hear that Taylor Swift is going to buy Notts County or <laughs>
1: you know, Samuel L. to sure.
0: buy, you know... Athletic. It's you. You would yeah. kind of go. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's just it's bizarre, isn't it? How quickly you just accept it and think that well, that yeah. does make sense. I think because of the authenticity of of what they've done, what you've all done, it's yeah. it's not just a publicity stunt. There's an actual reason behind it and a passion behind it as well.
2: Yeah, and I think they've enjoyed it so much, which which comes through very clearly on the documentary. And I think from talking to their friends, I think they are. You know, I think they have. Got a lot of people interested that wouldn't wouldn't ordinarily be interested. I, I I often use this analogy of if you're very rich and successful, you can buy like a yacht in the south of France. You might go on it like a maybe a month a year if you if you really are uh, um, got a lot of free time. Um, and that sounds lovely. But if you you know use that same money to buy a lower league football team, um, the the joy and positivity and uh, and sort of wonder it creates is very hard to match, you know? And I think, I think they, they get, Rob and I get such a huge kick out of seeing what they have brought to the people of Wrexham by, by doing this. And I, that is the thing that I'm like more, more rich people should invest. It doesn't have to be a football team, but like investing in something that just gives joy to large groups of people, you get it back in spades. You know, I, you might not make a huge amount of money from it, <laughs> But but you don't you know I often say when you launch your yacht in Cannes you don't have ten thousand people on the on the jetty (laughs) screaming in ecstasy and crying and hugging each other and being like yes
1: the boat (laughs) we got the boat out you know like yes
2: it's and yeah yeah that's that's an amazing thing that I don't know you get anywhere else even they both do lots of incredible philanthropic stuff over here but it doesn't quite replicate. Again, you you know you if you give a check to a cancer charity, it's an incredibly important thing to do, and everybody should keep doing it. But you don't necessarily get that same the rush of a goal scored, or of a championship, or of a or of a like a, a, a an enduring sort of sporting legacy. Um, that's probably putting too much pressure on Macmillan Cancer Nurses <laughs> to give you give you an enduring sporting legacy, but. But um, yes, of course. That's uh, uh, my analogy's gone a bit wrong because I'm now comparing it to my <laughs> like charity, which is definitely a good thing. And they should, people should. I don't want to be. Don't want headlines being. Car says stop giving money to McMillan nurses
1: because they come across the two things that come across is how how passionate they both seem to, are, to to be towards the club and the people, the community, but also how how genuine dudes they come across as. They just seem pretty mm. down to earth, normal dudes, despite being kind of superstars.
2: Yeah, I mean they they. Um, they really are. I mean, I think particularly they've got to be careful here in case they listen to this, but particularly Ryan, insofar as Ryan has spent such a long time being one of the world's most famous men. Um, and his his capacity to remain pretty normal despite that is is really genuinely remarkable. I mean, I, I think um I think one thing that they both have in spades, which is amazing, is they both recognize now how much power they have to like make people's day by giving them a smile or taking a photo with them or shaking their hand or, you know, just making time for people. And they're both very good about making sure that, you know, whenever they come, they, they kind of, you know, get down that like often before the game, they'll go down onto the pitch and just walk around like the, the sort of the edge of the pitch and just chat to people and take photos with, with kids and, and adults and all sorts of, as well. But yeah, I mean, they, I think they have both have good values, which is, which is important when you, when you're combining that with, something like this, an institution like a football club that has such an important place at the heart of a community. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It feels as though, I mean, I don't know if there's any data to back it up, but it feels anecdotally as though there's a lot, a lot of people falling out of love with the Premier League, with the big clubs and turning towards smaller clubs and, and you know, getting back to the reason why they fell in love mm. with football in the first place. I don't know if that's something you've found in your research, but all the people that we've spoken to or a lot of people we've spoken to on this podcast have said similar things that, they, you know, used to be an avid fan of Chelsea, Man U, whoever, and actually mm. now going you know, to my local club and having more of a, a kind of a connection to that club than to this, you know, 22 millionaires or multi millionaires running around on the pitch. Um, and, yeah. you know, it just
2: seems to be that way. Yeah. There's so, I mean, I, I'm ashamed to say that that prior to doing this, you know, I was very much like, a, I watched the Premier League and I would watch for the Championship football. And, you know, if I happened to be channel hopping and they had the sort of, you know, League Two, uh, League One, League Two wrap up show, I'd be like, oh, yeah, go on then. I'll, I'll watch that. I mean, I, I would watch any football but I don't think I had any appreciation for just this huge huge number of local football clubs that are doing really amazing things in their communities and that people are having these incredible relationships with I mean again uh, listening to alex's uh uh podcast to you guys the other day obviously he, he's um you know he, he's a big wig at his local club Cheshire united and um you know I I know from talking to him and talking to those guys you know what what a special place that now has in his heart and I, I you know now that I've come involved with Wrexham obviously we're we're striving to get to the Premier League but the the connection between our players and our fans is something that is really kind of strange and wonderful because you know we still basically our players park in the car park next to the stadium which is not fenced off every time they come in to train or come in to do anything they are chatting with with fans and and people in the car park it's it remains there is a very sort of a direct connect between between players and fans in a way that you don't really get in the Premier League now. Basically, the players all drive to the training ground. There, they get on a bus. The bus drives them under the stadium. They get out. They play the game. They go home again. You know, they they uh, they don't really interact that much with fans. They might run into them in Sainsbury's, but they probably nowadays they all get it sent direct to their houses or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, do an Cardo or whatever it's called, um, and other supermarkets uh, are available. Other supermarkets are available. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. Until we're thank sponsored you. by one, in which case we'll promote them. In course. The case, they, <laughs> the rest can all get stuffed. Yeah, but no, I mean I, I, that one thing that we're really, really, really eager to try and sustain is the connection between the club and the fans as we go up the leagues, because it will mm-hmm. get more and more difficult for you know when we're playing when we're playing seven Brazilians who, who are all getting paid. Uh, you know, as you say, hundreds and hundred thousand pounds a week. That they there will be less connectivity probably between them and and the people that you know. We have players now who are born and raised in Wrexham, who are fans that stood on the on the terraces and now play for us, and that's that's a really brilliant thing. Uh And we, we you know we're desperate to try and keep that going for as long as possible. But I would urge anybody. I mean, I realise now my my parents. My folks moved a few years ago, and they're now very close to Chippenham Town, who are who are a National League South team and things like that. And I think, you know, if and when my Wrexham adventure comes to an end, I'd be I'm much more interested in going and getting involved with with a Chippenham Town than I would be. And still, you know, even now I sort of follow Liverpool's results, but I don't have the energy to care too much about what what they're doing. Usually because if, if Wrexham lose or draw on the weekend, I'm so emotionally devastated. I can't possibly <laughs> can't possibly expend any energy on whether Liverpool have done well
1: or not because that would just kill me. Has your role changed then at the club? Are you executive director? Is that still the title? I am, yes. And, and what, yeah, yeah. What, what does that entail now during this season well, then? It's
2: always been quite a nebulous thing really yeah. because it's a role that most football clubs don't necessarily have or need. I mean, we, we sort of created this title slightly to... to give me the authority to do the things that I need to do when I first got to the football club. So, you know, my job really is to act as liaison between Rob and Ryan um, and, the, and the football club. So it, it's sort of translating football into Hollywood and, and Hollywood into football. That has changed as time has gone on because they've obviously got much more au fait with how everything works mm-hmm. over here. They don't need as much sort of hand-holding. Um, and similarly, the football club has got more used to dealing with, you know, we're, the weird and wonderful world of, of the two of them coming and what that entails and, and the kind of requests that come in from them that they wouldn't normally get from normal owners. You know, we've shot commercials at the race course that with with Ryan and the players that are for companies in America that have no footprint in the UK and all sorts of stuff that you just don't get in the National League or, or League two level. So I sit on the board of the club, so I, I'm legally able to commit the club to things. A lot of what I do is sort of the, the administrative stuff that they don't have time to do that, that comes from a board level. So, you know, I can commit the club legally to things. So I sign a lot of the deals that we that we do. Um, and I now, as we've got a DFL, there are a lot more actual specific requirements of board members, things that you you legally are required to do. So I pick up a lot of that stuff as well. So I'm sort of senior safeguarding manager. I am the equality, diversity, and inclusion lead for the board and all sorts of things uh, like that. So uh, it's it tends to be a, a combination of day-to-day stuff is very administrative. And then the other thing I do is I'm sort of their, I sometimes refer to myself as their Pope. Um, I'm their man on the ground. Um, so <laughs> when they can't be in Wrexham, I'm sort of, uh, a very um netto own brand version of Robin ryan um and, and uh people are like oh i've seen you from the documentary and they're like yes 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 you're friends with ryan reynolds and rob aren't you I'm like well they're my bosses but they they're nice to me i, I wouldn't say we're friends necessarily um but uh <laughs> um uh but yeah so i do i do a certain amount of what's required to kind of you know a little bit of. Sort of the face of the organisation in a way. When when they're not around, so I I talk to all the fan groups. I will represent them, go and talk to the council, go and do you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, I'm sort of I receive my instruction from them and then try my best to I either do what they asked or do something slightly different to what they've asked, but that I think is a better idea. <laughs> does it, does it um, impact
0: on your other? ventures your acting your your you you know writing is it can you
2: dovetail them all together or is it is it taking front and center at the moment i've been really lucky because like having two bosses who are also actors and writers means that they're very understanding of of my sort of dual life so so they've all, the policy has always been that essentially i can you know a lot of what i do i can do remotely because it's it's you know with the with modern with zoom with with docusign with all these sorts of things you're able to kind of do a lot of work from here. But yeah, I mean, I, I I'm hoping it's going to impact in me in, in another way that, that, you know, Martin Scorsese is going to be watching season two, episode three of Welcome to Rex and be like, my God, I need, I need a sort of slightly out of shape tall man for my next movie. Um, let's, let's get him in. Um, it hasn't really happened yet, but um, no, I mean, it's, it, it's, I am incredibly fortunate. As I said at the start, I had the best pandemic ever because I got to be in a in a, 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 a American sitcom, which sadly ended after two seasons. We had an amazing time, and run a football club, so, sort of. Uh, I'll be part of the, the the shadowy cabal of people running a football club um, at the mm-hmm. same time, and that that was crazy. I mean, I remember some of those days where it was like, you know, we were on set and they'd be like, okay, camera rolling and my phone would buzz. And it was like, oh, you know, we've just, um, we've managed to, we've just agreed terms with Elliot Lee, um, uh, you know, medical to come this afternoon. I'd put my phone in my pocket and they'd be like, action. It was, I was like, this is the best 10 minutes of my life. I can't believe I get to do both (laughs) these things. So, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, as I say, I'm sort of in the, in the phase of, of auditioning and, and pitching and doing all sorts of bits and pieces right now and and um you know what's great is the the guys have always been very good about saying yes that's that's totally fine you know you could, provided you're not failing to discharge your duties to the football
1: club at the same time then then great i wonder do you get recognized in in the states from the welcome to Wrexham? because obviously it's resident I do, quite yeah, big, yeah right
2: yeah, I mean, I I really the second season in particular has been really interesting because I've really noticed a marked change. In I was in London a couple of weeks ago, and about five people over the course of, the, of one day were like,
1: well, Rexham,"
2: or, or like up the town, or like you guys from Wrexham <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's 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 cool." And then yes, yeah, same thing over here. I mean, I I was in the airport the other day and a man sort of sidled up to me and was like Are you, uh, you're the guy from." or like I, quite often the one I'm always struck by is when people go big early and they just go like <laughs> Wrexham in my ear and I'm like oh, oh hi <laughs> <laughs> because if I was not me I'd be like what <laughs> get away from me you freak um,
0: then but, you realise you're um, wearing Wrexham hat and the Wrexham shirt yes
2: well, oh, I used to do that a lot. I used to be, I used to, because I love the stash. I mean, again, you, uh, Chris, you've obviously had a, a, an unbelievable career. So like you had so much Team GB gear and all sorts of amazing stuff, I'm sure. Well, there you oh, go.
1: Beautifully on brand. Tragic.
2: You yeah. No, it's not tragic at all. It's it's incredible. And I love it. And I one of my favorite things in the whole world. I'll be right back. One second. One second. I've got to show you this. This is my, this is my, I've got my headphones on so I can keep talking to you for a distance. This is my most prized possession in the whole entire world, which is, um, where is it? Here we go. <laughs> this is, uh, my, uh, this is my team GA. Oh, thing, like my, little, my little body warmer, but this, but this is the key, right? Because yeah. you can buy these in the club shop, but you don't get the little HK in the club shop. I'm putting it on for the rest of the interview. I'm
1: so I'm so sad that when uh, I coached my son's uh, football team for six years, he's since gone on to secondary school it's called Sefton Park Scorpions, and me and the coach took it way too seriously, and we we got nice kits done and a badge with a scorpion for the kids. Yeah, we got our own branded um, jackets, which I still have and sometimes wear. But yeah. Uh, that was a pathetic low to actually just buy those, just then have them designed just for two individuals who were... I think it... that is totally justifiable. Okay, okay. It's totally justifiable. I mean, for me, as I said, so, so as a Liverpool fan for years
2: and as a very plastic Liverpool fan for years, I always was so susceptible to that. You know, that thing people do when you're like, oh, we have beat, um, uh, how's we said? Yeah, great. We beat Arsenal 5-1. And they're like, oh, were you playing, mate? Were you, were you, are you part <laughs> of it, were you? You know, like, <laughs> that, that thing people do, which people who don't like sport often do, and they're like, oh, shut up. <laughs> but I, but i was always felt like oh yeah i'm not really not from liverpool i'm not really part of it you know i'd buy the kits and i'd i'd, I'd you know support them as as avidly as anyone could but i always felt like oh, i'm a bit of a plastic scouser i don't really count and with this this is like oh no i'm i'm i am us like i am you know if i, if I say we you know we beat uh, we drew 2-2 with with uh, harrogate on tuesday no one can. No one can be like, "Oh, did you do what? What did you do?" I was like, "Yes, I did actually. <laughs> That's a proper, genuinely, pro- properly part of it." Um, so yes, when I when I wear these around the, around around the place, when I walk into the stadium wearing the badge, and I feel like part of it is that is so intoxicating. That's the best. You know, people often ask me what the best part of this is, and you know the 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 real the the proper palatable answer that I will want in my obituary is is the. Is the, the conversations I have with people who have been fans of the club for sixty years and who sort you know thought it was dead and then to see it come back to life and seeing their grandchildren embrace it in a way they never imagined they would have done five years ago that's that is truly the best bit. But the second best bit is is getting getting to feel like I really belong, like I'm part of it and I'm part of something. And that's that's I think something about team sport that is so intoxicating is that sense of belonging. You know that we. I think it's you know, without getting too um uh too G B news about this, this country <laughs> these days we don't we don't there's the communities are gone. The um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn got rid of communities. Um, or whatever it is. No, but you know, I, I do I do think that we are a little bit more fragmented than we used to be. There's a little bit, you don't necessarily know your neighbors as well as you used to. Um, not because, not because they, you know, they've been replaced by immigrants or whatever GB news would have us believe, but because, because we're all, you know, our lives have become that much more fractured We're, we're through our phones and through our work and through our we're not, we don't have sort of big collective endeavors that much, which I think is why I love going to football. I love, I love sports. I love those moments where you get, Oh, we're all together. We're all like, we, there's a, There's a fellowship here because we all want the same thing. And, um, you know, I I do think that there's something so magical about that. And that sense of belonging is the thing that I love. And I don't feel in a huge way elsewhere in my life. I don't feel like I belong with, you know, with my family and with my friends and things. But I don't have a sense of like, I've moved around quite a lot. I don't know whether that's part of it as, as, as a kid. And I've lived in America for 10 years. But I never feel particularly a sense of like really intense personal identity other than like now to I'm like, well, I'm I'm a Wrexhamite. I'm part of, you know, I'm part of the Wrexham family. Um, and I think that's a very, that's a very cool thing about sport in general.
0: When, when you were growing up, what,
2: what did you, what
0: sport did you take part in yourself? Were you, was it football? Was it, you, you alluded to it the was, fact that you a football chap, were you, I mean, you must have been a rugby player. Yeah.
2: Well, they sport. kept trying to make me be a rugby player because <laughs> I went to I went to a posh school, but I was very uh, again I like pretending to be a dinosaur, and um, I was quite a sort of uh, um, a fae young boy. I think I was like mm-hmm. a very I was always I wanted I like playing in the woods and sort of pretending to be someone from Lord of the Rings or a dinosaur or something. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't a big I wasn't that into sport until. Uh, when I went, I so I went, yeah. So I went to bo- all boys boarding school from like seven to eighteen, and cricket was the game I was best at. by mm-hmm. as it happened, um, largely because of the height, and I think that that even I bowled very slowly. I, I played for the fifth eleven at my at, at my uh, prep school, and uh, we had another boy who I no, can't been prep school. I guess that was when I was at Eton, but we um, younger in the younger years at Eton. There was another boy called Alistair Murray who was six foot eight. I was six foot seven and a half, and he was six foot eight. And we used to get off the bus, and the opposition were like, "Oh my god, it's like posh white Curtly Ambrose and Courtney Walsh just got off the bus." <laughs> you know, we would sort of swagger off the bus and be like, "Oh no!" And you'd see like various mothers of boys on the other team sort of quailing in horror these two uh, ogres that had got off the bus. And then we were both incredibly slow. Inaccurate, and so for the first over, I quite often take wickets in the first over that I bowled because the, the 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 batsman would be so like, oh my god, what's coming? And then they'd be like, oh wait, what? Oh, that was oh, it's, got, it's hit my wicket. That was so slow. But then by about ball four, the, the batsman, would, the next batsman would come and be like, this guy's got nothing. And then would cart me all over the place, and I get taken off. Um But yeah, I played I played to an actually hockey. I was quite good at as well. This is a very posh the very posh schoolboy sports lineup. Jolly good at cricket, jolly good at hockey actually. Um, But then football was the thing that I didn't get the point of at all until I was about 12 and I was forced to play. We had a sort of a a thing where they played how, you know, we had houses at school and you play house against house, different like internal school games. And they did this thing called houses football where every boy in the house had to play. It was like 30 a side um, it was really fun. Actually, you, you would play, it was 30 side, you play with three different balls um, and three footballs and you just, you know, slightly enlarged goals, you have like two or three goalkeepers. And then you'd all just run around like maniacs and try and score as many goals as possible. And I was always forced to play in that I would always be like, oh, I can't, you know, I, I, this is not for me. I'm not very good at it. And then finally, when I was about 12, I scored a goal. And it was like a sort of shaft of light descended from the heavens. I was like, (laughs) "Wow, this sensation is unbelievable!" Like, I feel like a king. I want to do this a hundred times a day. And so, I truly, literally, from that day, it was like sort of, you know, I I had a a conversion on the road to Damascus. I I spent the next every day for the next probably fifteen years just try and score as many goals as I possibly could. So I, I played football all day, every day. So by the time I got to university, I was okay. I was an okay footballer, but I was very late developing. I was quite like my, my great, let's get this right. My great uncle or my great, great uncle played in the first five FA Cup finals. Wow. For a combination of, yeah, he played for... Old Etonians and like the Royal Engineers or something like that, and so he he played in five and won like three of the first FA Cups or something. A man called Edgar Lubbock, and um, uh, so and my grandfather played football and rugby and cricket for the army during World War Two, which is as you imagine pretty decent standards. Um, you know, so he was he was a seriously good sportsman as well. Uh, and my dad. Is a big fat guy, so he never. <laughs> and always was, and was, was basically like, "He's where I got my like. I don't. I'm not interested in this stuff. Like, this is this is all ridiculous. I think my dad had that classic thing of like, his dad was such a sporting hero that he went fully the other way and was like, "I'm yeah. not interested. I'm not like that's. I can't compete with that. I'm gonna. I'm never gonna be match up. So I'm gonna be interested in different things and be very into art and food and uh, all that kind of thing." Uh, that my grandfather was not interested in at all and then I've sort of come out somewhere in the middle I think got a, got a bit of both of them but you weren't targeted for for rowing or for basket? yes again they desperately wanted to make me row as well and I was like no I don't want to cuz all, all the rowers that was Ethan who produced a lot of very you know they've got an unbelievable rowing uh, um program there yeah they they really wanted me to but I was Uh, It was sort of, you could either row or play cricket and all my friends were playing cricket and all the guys that were rowing were incredibly intense, sort of jacked, uh, (laughs) sort of sports heroes already. And I was like, no, I, 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 this cricket's amazing because you eat pick and mix like on the side of the side of the pitch when you're not, when you're not batting, you eat pick and mix and like read the newspaper. That seems much better than like all the rowers would row and they come off and they'd run and they go on the ergo machine and they had very strict diets and stuff. And I just, I didn't have the, I sort of in retrospect, I'm like, God, I should have done that. Cause then I would have, I would have wound up presenting some kind of travel TV show. You know, it could have been, a, could have been an, a, <laughs> it could have been an, it could have been an older Tonian Olympian who ends up marrying some very glamorous woman and then presents TV shows. That, that seems like a, 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 path, for, a path for a lot of them. And too badly, though. You, you know, you no, yeah. I'm very happy. Listen, you don't get one of these in the rowing. Why should you probably do? You get. <laughs> it's probably got to a really cool Team GB one with my my initials on it.
1: Have you had any particular sporting misadventures or calamities personally of things going awry in your sporting upbringing? Or I'm trying to think. I, I
2: was. I've been trying to think about this for the last few days because i I've been very. I've been pretty fortunate overall. I mean, I I, I think <clears throat> a, a, a non personal well it, it was very personal to me but it was also shared by a other people was other people might have seen the end of the first season of the documentary was us losing five4 to Grimsby at, at home and I mean I just that was one of the most devastating moments of my life really um and and it, de- it definitely took me a while to get over that but uh, but that's that's less personal to, to me I suppose um I think I mean one thing is and it's a sort of accumulation of things I injure myself the whole time um, <laughs> playing football. I mean, it's an unbelievable. I would be. I would definitely be one of those players that the fans turn on because they're like, "He's made of biscuits. <laughs> you know, Scott, I can't stay fit. Why are we pay, paying this guy? He's, he's, he's stealing a living." Because I mean, I have torn virtually every muscle in my body. I've never broken a bone, but uh, but if it's a muscle or a ligament, then I have torn it, popped it, strained it done whatever i'm the one of the world's most inflexible people and i'm now 41 i still try and play football and i think i average about a game and a half before i injure myself and i'm back <laughs> off the
1: pitch again so you've got a full list of injuries then it's a sort of who's who I yes mean. yeah yeah. Okay.
2: yeah i mean truly it's like, it's gone sort of all, all the way up my left leg and then sort of across my bum and down the right <laughs> leg it, it's just in order virtually they've all gone wrong um, so I think I mean in some ways those that might been my my sort of worst sporting occasions. I definitely, you know, I, I once took a hat trick playing cricket. This, this this is more of an emotional scar. Um, is that I once took a hat trick playing cricket um, to much fanfare. I mean this is, this is quite so. This was when I was about seventeen. So again, the stand about that stage was like okay. You know, it was it was. This was, again, playing for, I think, probably like the Eton 3rd 11 or something like that. My parents had come to watch and, you know, put the hat trick, did the whole thing, you know, did the thing with the ball, you know, turning around, <laughs> take the acclaim of the crowd, blah, 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 came off at the end of the innings, and, you know, went to my parents like, well, so, you know, this must be a pretty big moment for you um, to see me or progeny um, become a man on this day. And they're like, huh? Uh, what's? uh oh, sorry. What happened? I was like, uh, I took a, I got a hat trick. Did you notice that? And they're like, Did you? Well, when, when was that? As like about five, about five minutes ago. That's when they stopped the game, and I was waving the ball around. Oh yeah, didn't didn't see it. They just they just been talking to their friends the whole way through. <laughs> and uh, my my housemaster, who's a sort of slightly angry South African man, who was didn't was not a huge fan of mine um, by any stretch of the imagination sort of uh, appeared with almost with tears in his eyes. This was a sort of breakthrough moment for us. And he was like, you know, I'm like, I'm for you, you know, it's uh, good on you. You know, I didn't know that you had it in you, you know, and I was like, my parents didn't see it. And he was like, he, it like destroyed him as well. He was like, this moment of that should have been a great bonding moment between the two of us. He, uh, he ended up being, um, as outraged as I was that my parents had not paid enough attention to me, I mean, this is a this is a precursor of the modern helicopter parent situation. I had it the other way when parents like, whatever, do I don't, who cares? Just <laughs> just, just stop going on about it. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit of a humble brag as, as far as this adventure no, goes. Great. Me talking about how brilliant I was at cricket, and then my parents aren't noticing. But that's what we need, though. I mean, that's you know, you need to
0: have your sporting misadventure, but also your sporting yeah. highlight. But yeah, yeah, yeah that, that
2: virtue is both in one. Yeah, that's perfect. If you were going to move on from, you know,
0: when, when, if, when your relationship and and your time with Rexham comes to an end, would that be it in that type of role, or would you? Are you already thinking about? or or there teams or things that you might like to get involved with, or does it just happen organically, as and when?
2: I think I would love to stay involved in football in some capacity. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think anyone else. You know, people often say like, "What would happen if Liverpool came and asked you to work for them?" Like, they, they absolutely would not. Like, unless they need something reached down off a high shelf, they don't need me at, at, at Liverpool. Um, they. They're more than supplied with people who can. I mean, again, my role is a strange one because it's sort of, it is. It's so much of it is about representing Rob and Ryan and the, and the types of people they are that you just don't necessarily get in other football clubs. But I would, I would love to continue that. That that sense that I've become addicted to that sense of belonging to a, to an organisation of some kind. Um. So I would definitely love to. You know, I would just maybe try and go and volunteer at like a local team of mine. Like go and try and be part of that. And if I won the lottery you know, then I would absolutely, I'd go and take over Chippenham town and try and rival Rob and Ryan and destroy them. Um, uh, just because I'm a fan of, you know, Shakespearean drama. And the idea of being their protege turned destroyer is, is too tempting. But, um, <laughs> Headless or style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Very well>. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, no, I mean, I, I would love to, I mean, I think even if I, you know, as as I, wherever I wind up one way or the other, I mean, I don't know if it's, I want to move back to the UK full time at some stage, which luckily my wife does as well. Um, but we're thinking sort of, you know, five, 10 years, not, not for a while. And I'm hoping that my, my involvement with Rexham will continue, uh, beyond five, 10 years, but who knows? But yeah, I would love to, I, I just think it's, you know, sport has become after a late, I'm a sort of evangelical, you know, born again, sports do we've got my university of North Carolina football cap on right now. And, uh, and, You know, I love American, uh, I love baseball. I love uh, American football. Uh, I, you know, cricket, rugby, football, anything. I mean, you know, just just to help with, one thing I've been so excited is I don't have kids, but my sister's kids, I have bombarded with with sports stuff and they are all really, really sporty, which is really exciting. Like they're all very into it. They're obsessed with it. They're good at it. You know, my my, um, youngest nephew is a really, really, Good footballer, and and actually, both my nieces are really good footballers as well. So they they're playing it sort of quite a decent level. Uh, I don't know if any of them will ever have a career in that, but but just to have that passion, mm. I think to, to 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 share that passion and to and to um, you know get people in, into sport, I think is something that I will always try and do for the rest of my life because I just I love it.
1: Do you do you still have pinch yourself moments? One other thing I wanted to ask you around this, or or is that now gone? The sort of surreal nature of it all, and oh, absolutely! I mean, absolutely. It just it just
2: you know it, it's not all that long ago. As I say you know we got promoted that game against <coughs> Forum Wood when, when we got promoted, and and to be you know to go down onto the pitch and kind of trail along behind the players as they were carrying the trophy around, around to show everybody was just I just couldn't believe that that's something that I been allowed to do, you know, sport has always been something, professional sport has always been something that's been at a, a distance for me. I've watched it through a screen or I've watched it from the stands and to kind of cross the white line onto the pitch, albeit not as a player, but as a, as a participant in in another way is mad. And I mean, as I say, there are, there are those, my other ones have been like getting phone call, from Robbie Fowler, like seeing on my WhatsApp, like uh, Robbie Fowler is telephoning me. Like what? <laughs> uh, like what? You know, I, I, he's the guy, you know, he's the player that basically got me into football because he was the one, he scored two goals for Liverpool against Manchester United away at Old Trafford in, I think 95 or something like that when he had the bleach blonde hair and I bleached my hair to look like him because I went, oh, I went, I went hard early once. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm a football fan now or right, I'm going to cut my hair like the guy Gonna get the kit. I'm gonna do. I watch every game. I'm gonna. I'm a little bit. I think I have a touch of the old ADHD, which has comes with that traditional thing of like when people with ADHD, when you get into something, you really get into it really hard very quickly. And football is interesting. Because it's one that stuck with me for a long time. I'm always I have a new interest that I'm very excited about, and then I get I, I move on to something else very quickly. Football stuck around, but yes, getting phone calls from Robbie Fowler, getting phone calls from Harry Kewell, another another Liverpool player called me. Um, once asking about uh, players and things when he was at Barnet, and and um, yeah, all that remains mad. I mean, frankly, talking to you guys remains slightly mad. And <laughs> I, 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 you know, to, to be on a sports centric podcast is, uh, is remains a bit of a pinch me moment. But well, we're delighted to have you on. It's been brilliant.
0: It's been it's been fascinating. Yeah, fantastic.
1: Well, yeah, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank so, yeah, you. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for chatting to us. And keep no, the great it's been an immense Thank you. I will do my best. We look forward to seeing climbs <laughs> up the tables and seeing you. In, sure. in, in, yes, um, fingers crossed. Whatever else is next on TV and cinema, etc. Perfect. I like I like all all of these uh,
2: visions <laughs> for our futures. <laughs> Get behind them. All right. Thank Fabulous. you, Jen. Thanks, thanks so much. Take care. Cheers. Right.
1: Take bye, care. Bye bye.